Good morning. Anybody out there? Good morning. Welcome to Northside Baptist Church. Well, as you can tell, if you look on the stage, our kiddos are up here, which means they are going to start us off with the song that they've been working on forever, Wanda said. Long and hard, rump-a-pum-pum, so they're going to have a lot of fun, so give them your attention.
All right, way to go, kiddos. That was not an easy song to do. They've been working on that for a while. I don't know, like two months ago, I was over in the education building, and Wanda and Dee Dee were in there, and all they kept saying was rum, 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 rum. And I was like, listen, we got to add some other words to this song. So, uh, But they did an incredible job. All right, well, once again, good morning. Would you stand and welcome those around you, and then we're going to worship together. Oh 
we're going to sing a new song today with some familiar parts to it, but hopefully some of y'all have heard it and you can uh, help us out a bit. Christ the 
Amen, amen. You may be seated. He indeed is Christ the Lord. And so we gather to worship Him, to magnify His name, to declare that He is indeed the King and Lord. Well, welcome to Northside Baptist Church. We're so thankful that you are here uh, to worship with us. We are one week away uh, from Christmas. And so, yeah, so I know that this week uh, and the next two weeks may be very busy, very hectic for many of you. I already heard some of you say it started this weekend, gathering with family and friends. And so as we gather, let us keep our focus on Jesus Christ, the Lord. If this is your first time with us, with us we are so thankful that you are here. Uh, man, you're our guest and we're delighted to have you. So we just want to say thank you to you. If this is your first time, there's a couple ways that you can let us know uh, that. There's a QR code. Um, in the bulletin, you can scan uh, and fill that out, or there's a connect card out there um, in the lobby that you can fill out as well. If there's any way that we can pray for you, please, please don't hesitate to let us know that. Um, if you look in your bulletins, you'll see that this is the month that we take up our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. We, our goal is $8,000. To date, we've given 3444 which if my math is correct, yeah, go ahead. You can clap yourself. If my math is correct, that's 10 bows. So we now have 10 of the 25 bows um, up here uh, on the tree. And so we're almost there to the 11th bow. We're close, but not quite there. So continue to give today. You can give next Sunday as well. There's different ways that you can give, and that's listed there in the bulletin. But as always, we want to emphasize, uh, Lottie Moon, the importance of taking the gospel to the ends of the earth, supporting our IMB missionaries. And so we have a video for you to check out this morning. I never dreamed to go to another city. I never dreamed to go to another country. I never dreamed to, learn, to talk another language, but God made possible. When I was 11 years old, my family was very poor. I used to work in the street selling, selling things. One day my dad took my money because he was alcoholic. He had three more families. So I made my own prayer. I said to God, you want to be my father? I need you here. I need you here. I had a trouble in my teens because of my family and I ran away from home. And we had a program with the IMB missionaries running the call Tele Amigo. So I went to that place because I had trouble with myself. I want to kill myself. And they really give me all the support and prayer for me. I met a missionary called Barbara Rivers. She was putting some pictures and video of the five American missionaries where they were killed in Ecuador by the Indians in the jungle. When I saw the picture and the face of the missionaries, I started crying. And I said to Lord, I do nothing, only going to church. And these people came far away from their own country and died because of love of our people. So and they said to the Lord, here I am. I want to be a missionary. Missionaries like Barbara Rivers, it was a model, a very real model. I learned how to go places where there's nothing and start something. So I realized not only in Ecuador, I need to be safe, but everywhere. So I became pray for India. I was the first Latino to go. I went for 12 years. 
one thing God told me to preach the gospel, not to be locked in my house. If I want to be locked in my house, I stay in my country. I came back from India. The IMB missionary received me, Guy Mills and Linda, and a friend from Guatemala. He told me, the Lord take you back to Latin America to not be just one Julieta, sino hundreds of Julietas. Send Latinos to the nations. And after that, starting Impacto Mundial. We do mobilization, training, and sending missionaries to the nations. I believe we are global Christians. Jesus told us to go to the nations, to preach to everyone and everywhere and every time. My dream is to see every church be mobilized to become a missionary church. It's my dream. Good morning. This is our fourth Sunday of Advent. And today is the candle of love. Um, This is a, uh, a very special attribute of God that is so often misused, but <clears throat> um, when it comes to the attribute of love, we tend to think of it in a very cuddly way. We don't think of it as a, a mercy God gives us. We are sinful. We are wretched. If we choose to, we would go our own way, but by his grace, he took hold of me can take hold of you, no matter where you are. <clears throat> so on this fourth day, on this fourth Sunday of Advent, as we think about the coming of Jesus, Katie, I've asked Katie to come and light the candle, which is love. Um, We light the candle of love and are reminded of the great love God has for us. So no matter who you are, no matter what life you've been through, um, know that there is a God who loves. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 9, he says, In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. How? That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him through him Charles Spurgeon said this there is love in many places like wandering beams of light but as for the sun it is in one part of the heavens and we look at it and we say, there's light. He did not look at the church of God and say, of all the myriads who counted not their lives dear unto them, there is love. For their love was only the reflected brightness of the great sun of love. We need to reflect the meaning of God's love if you're a Christian. And so I encourage you as you Go out 
this coming week as you spend time with friends, family, co-workers, Christian. Reflect the love of God. Reflect the meaning of love. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love. And this is the amazing, awesome part. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then he says this, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, let let me see your love everywhere, not only in the cross, but in the fellowship of believers and in the world around me. When I feel the warmth of the sun, may I praise you, who are the son of the righteousness with healing power. When I feel the tender rain, may I think of the gospel showers that water my soul. When I walk by the river side, may I praise you for that stream that makes the eternal city glad and wash white my robes that I may have the right to the tree of life. Your infinite love, Lord, is a mystery of mysteries. And my eternal rest lies in the eternal enjoyment of it. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Amen. Thank you, choir and Anna Marie. Praise the Lord. All right, at this time, our kiddos are going to make their way to Children's Church. We have our younger class and then our K through second grade. Everyone else, please take a copy of God's Word and turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We have been working through the armor of God. We've looked at five of the six pieces this morning. We're going to look at the sixth piece of God's armor, the spiritual armor that we are called to put on or to take up. And then in January, we will finish out the rest of Ephesians. So um, Ephesians chapter 6, if you will please stand in honor of the reading of God's word. Let's read verses 14 through 17. Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and the shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. You may be seated. As we've looked at each of these pieces of armor up to this point, we have seen that what Paul's doing is certainly he is looking at the Roman soldier and the armor that they would have worn, and he's drawing from that. But he's also going back to Isaiah and the prophecy of Isaiah, which is looking towards the Messiah. And so that's where I want to begin this morning as we think about this sword, right? The sword of the spear, which is the word of God. We have to go back to Isaiah, so Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 through 5, speaking of the righteous reign of the branch, says, But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, decide with equity for the meek of the earth, and he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. And then we fast forward to the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 19, verses 15 and 16. It says, From his mouth comes a sharp sword, with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So we see even with this weapon, it is grounded in the Messiah, in Christ, who is going to come, right? And the image there is of a sword. But at the same time, Paul also has in mind the Roman soldier. And so looking at the armor of a Roman soldier, Paul says that we are to take up the sword of the Spirit. Now, the Greek word for sword here is makara, machara. Well, it would have varied in length. The sword would have varied in length. It's not one of the big long swords that you see in some movies, but it would have been more of like a dagger. So 6 to 18 inches long, it would have been double-sided. They would have carried it in a sheath attached to their belts, so it was always at hand, always ready for use. Now, up until this point, all the armor that Paul has mentioned is used for defense. It is to protect you against blows, to protect you against arrows, right? It's armor you wear to protect your vital organs. But now he comes to a weapon that can be both defensive and 
offensive. So certainly you think of a sword can be defensive. You've seen the movies, right, where they got the duels with the swords and he's blocking the, the blows of the other sword. And so certainly they can be defensive. God's word, right, which is the sword of the spirit, is our defense against temptation. I remind you what Paul says earlier. He says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities. So, right, that word wrestles, hand-to-hand combat. The fiery arrows, they come from a distance. But then there's up-close personal spiritual warfare. And so the sword, that dagger, could be used for defense. Now, I love sports. love watching sports. I've heard it said many times, defense wins championships. All my Georgia Bulldog fans in here, you know that from last year. Your defense was legit, right? You won a championship with it. Now this year you got a good defense and your offense is a little bit better. So defense wins championships, that's true. But the reality is at some point, you got to score points. It can't end zero to zero. Somebody has to score. And so yes, you need defense, but you also need offense. And Napoleon said, the best form of defense is attack. So we have this defensive armor. But then God also places within us, within our hands, a sword. A sword is used primarily to attack, to cut, and to kill. We are to defend ourselves against the attacks of Satan, but we also are to take the attack to Satan. Right? God's Word speaks. It speaks against the sins of the world. And so we speak against the sins of the world. But the Word of God also speaks to our only hope, which is found in Jesus Christ. And so we speak to that hope that can be found in Jesus. Satan can't defeat God, and he cannot defeat his word. You've been given this sword of the Spirit, the word of God, as a weapon. Now last week, if you remember, we talked about the shield of faith and the helmet of salvation. And I said multiple times, it's not about how you feel. It's about what you, anybody listening? No. It's not about how you feel. We, we judge so much on our feelings. It's not about how you feel. It's about what you know. So church, let me ask you a question. Those of you watching online, let me ask you a question. Do you, do I, do we know the Word of God? Do we know the Word of God which is the shield, or which is the sword of the Spirit. Listen, every week when we gather, let's just talk about the worship service. We could talk about Sunday school too. But every week when we gather, at the center of what we do is the preaching of God's Word. It's the center of what we do. It's the center of our Sunday school classes. You gather, and we're going to sing, and the kids will sing some Sundays, and we'll take the Lord's Supper together, and we'll, we'll do the lighting of the candles in seasons, and we'll do different things. But every week, when you walk in this door, you know that we are going to center everything that we do around God's Word. If we didn't, If you came in week in and week out just thinking, man, I wonder what Aaron's opinion is going to be today. Or we just gave our two cents on the things that are going on in the world. Our gathering this morning would be no different than what the world is doing and lost people are doing all over the place. What makes this different 
is we believe God has spoken through His Word. And thus we come week after week after week to say, God, what does your Word have to say to us today? What are you going to say through Pastor Aaron as he opens up the Word of God and seeks to rightly divide it? We gather, we center everything we do around God's Word. So if we're going to do that, if every week this Word's going to be preached, there's some things that we need to know about this Word. Five things I want to point out to you this morning. As we think about the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, number one, you and I must believe that the Bible, God's Word, is inspired. It's inspired. What do I mean by that? Well, look what Ephesians 6 says. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the what? The Spirit. The sword of the Spirit. We believe that God is triune. That He's God the Father, He's God the Son, and He is God the Spirit. And this is the Word of the Spirit, right? The sword of the Spirit. God's Spirit has breathed out word, the Word through human authors. This is God's Word that has been breathed out through human authors who wrote down God's Word. 2 Timothy 3.16, all Scripture is breathed out by God. 1 Thessalonians 2.13, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. 2 Peter 1.21 For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I was listening to a sermon by Alistair Begg this week, and I love what he said. He said, man doesn't know God by investigation. A lot of people think that they can do investigative work and come to know who God is. That's not true, because the Bible tells us no one seeks after God. Right? No one. No one, no lost person right now is actively on their own seeking out God. They won't do it because of their sin nature. So he said, man doesn't know God by investigation, but by revelation. The only way you and I know who God is, is because God chose to spoke. God chose to speak. To you and me. And he's done it through his word. If this is just Peter's opinion or just Isaiah's made up prophecies, then you and I are wasting our time this morning. There's a lot more productive things that you can be doing. But if this is, and I believe it is the word of God, there is nothing more significant that you could do right now than sit under the preaching of his word. And say, God, you have spoken, speak today through your word. So it is inspired. Secondly, it is inerrant. It is inerrant. That simply means, to keep it basic, God's word is without error. It's without error. Now why do we believe that? We believe that because we are basing it upon who God is. God is true. God is trustworthy. We believe God has spoken. Therefore, if a true and trustworthy God who knows no lie, notice he can be found in him, has spoken, then what he has said must be true. There's no errors here. Psalm 1830, this God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. Psalm 119.7, the law of the Lord is perfect. Jesus says to his father, your word is truth. And so since all scripture 
is breathed out by God, and it's impossible for God to lie, then you and I believe God's word is true, and therefore it can be trusted. So when we gather week after week, we come believing God has spoken and his word is true. But there's more that we believe. We believe that God's word is complete. His word given to us is complete. This is his word. Revelation 22, 18 and 19 warns of us adding or taking away from the word of God. We don't add to it. We don't take away from his word. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 23 through 25. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, all its glory like the flower of grass, the grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Listen, we do not add nor take away from God's word. This is why you and I have to be mindful. This is why I am very careful in the words and the language that I use. I do not use the language God said to me. God spoke to me. Because often when you hear somebody say, Hey, God said to me. He revealed this to me. He showed me this. They're talking about something extra biblical. It's not God said this to me. It's thus says the Lord. Now, He'll lead us in a certain direction. He makes certain things in the Scripture come to, alive to us, but it's never outside of God's Word. He doesn't have a new revelation for us. He doesn't have a new word for us. He's spoken. It's complete. It's here. It's without error. It's the Word of God. It is complete. Therefore, we don't add or take away. But there's more. God's Word is authoritative. It's authoritative. 2 Timothy 3, 16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it's profitable, it's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Not only do we see people coming to the Scripture and saying, well, we can't trust all of it, this isn't true, and that's not true, but when we do that, what we are saying is, God, we know better than you. I mean, we believe that parts of this are your word. But we don't believe other parts are, and I'm going to be the arbiter of that. I'm going to be the one that decides what's true, what's not, what's outdated, what Paul got wrong, what we get right. That's not the case. When you open this, you come under its authority, for this is the Word of God. Whether you like it or not, God has spoken, and so we believe it. But then lastly, God's Word is effective. It's effective. Brothers and sisters, the Word of God works. Amen? It works. It does what it says it's going to do. Now, when, we, when you hear about the sword of the Spirit, most of you immediately go to one verse that I've yet to quote. It's Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is living. It's alive. It's active. Why? Because God is alive. This is His Word. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 You accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. 2 Timothy 2.9 says the word of God is not bound. Paul was bound. He was in chains. He was limited on where he could go, but he says, not the word. You can chain me up, but you can't bind 
the word of God because it's living and active. Isaiah 55, 11, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. F.F. Bruce in his commentary says, No word of man is capable of routing the spiritual host of wickedness, but they cannot stand their ground when God speaks. We gather week after week, and everything we do is centered around this. Brothers and sisters, you must be absolutely convinced that this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, complete, and effective Word of God. Your words will never save that man or woman out there. But God's words can. They're powerful. And He has given this to you as a sword. To stand against the evil one called Satan. So if we believe that this is what I just laid out for us, then what are we to do with it? What are you to do with it? Four things. Number one, you are to read it. You are to read it. Psalm 119 verse 97, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. John 15, 7 says, if you abide in me, this is Jesus, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Well, they had the spoken word of Jesus. They were walking with Jesus. So how does Jesus' word abide in us? It's through the written word of God that he has given to us. What good is a sword if you don't carry it with you into battle? Can you imagine a soldier, right? He's, he's all ready, he's geared up. And he looks at his sword and he's like, nah, I don't think I'll need that today. But I got my hand. Right? He just goes out into battle and he leaves his sword. Brothers and sisters, what good is God's word to you if you don't read it? Now hear me, you're not reading it doesn't change what this is. It's still the word of God. It's still all the things that we've laid out. You're just not bringing it into your life. God has given us His Word to read. Hear me. You and I have access to God's Word unlike any other generation before us. We have access to God's Word unlike many people alive today in other parts of the country who do not have a copy of God's Word in their hand. We can go back 500 years. Right? We can go back to the Reformation. Martin Luther, John Calvin, right, standing up against the doctrine of the Catholic Church. A church in which only the priest, right, had access to God's Word in Latin. The people couldn't read it. The people didn't have access to it. They didn't understand it. And so through there, speaking out against many things, through the printing press, which enabled them in God's grace to now take the Word, to transcribe it, and then Put it out in mass distribution. You go to technology of today that everywhere you go, you can have a copy of God's Word in multiple different translations at your fingertips. Everywhere you go, it's there. You think about people like William Tyndale and many others. William Tyndale trying to go back and, and translate into English from the original Greek. 
William Tyndale and many others who died, who literally shed their blood because they believed it was absolutely vital that you have a copy of God's Word in your hands. And yet some of you left your sword at home this morning. Some of you, your sword has stayed on the coffee table for weeks. You say, well, well Pastor, I got my cell phone. Listen, I, I know we live in a day of technology. And look, this is just my personal opinion. This isn't gospel. I know that you can bring your electronic devices to church and, and you can have them. But listen, when you do that, there's a distraction always right there. Um, I, I, I mentioned this somewhere. I don't think I mentioned it from the pulpit. We'll talk about Landon, so I apologize in advance. Uh, when we were in Kentucky, um, whenever we went the last time, I don't remember Thanksgiving. I don't remember when we were Thanksgiving. I think um, we we went to worship church, and Landon was was following the Bible on his phone. And I was proud of him, and I looked over, and he didn't do anything wrong. But just notifications started popping up on his phone about sports, about this. That's the problem with technology. You're there, but then all these distractions start coming. So here's my recommendation to you. You can do with this what you want. This is free. When you come to church, bring a hard copy of God's Word. You know I'm going to use it, and I'm going to challenge you to open it. And yes, you may have your electronic devices, but just put them in your pocket and follow along with the written Word of God. I remember when I was in high school, and I've said this before, I went to church without my Bible. My dad very lovingly but firmly when we got home said, Son, you ever go to school without your books? I said, No, Dad, I don't. He said, Then don't come to church without God's Word. Use it. This is your sword. This is what God has given to you. Read it. Listen to this quote by Vance Havner. Show me a Christian whose Bible is falling apart, and I'll show you a person who isn't. Show me a Christian whose Bible's falling apart because they're reading it and they're in it and they're underlining it and they have it with them. And he says, I'll show you a Christian who isn't falling apart because they're reading God's Word. If you aren't reading God's Word, then you can't be changed by God's Word. Um, familiarity breeds contempt. I had to look that up earlier because it popped in my head and I wasn't sure how it went, but I think that's right. Familiarity breeds contempt. It means the closer you, you come to something, the more you know something, sometimes you lose respect for it. Like a person, you're around them a lot, you lose respect for them. Sometimes our Bibles have become so familiar to us that we just don't think about them very often. We don't think about reading it. We don't think about opening it. Right? We just lose sight of it. But brothers and sisters, there are believers all around the world who would give anything to be able to hold a copy of God's Word and their language in their hands. And they would read it all day long. And yet we have it. Many of us have multiple copies of it. We don't read it. But the second thing we are to do with God's Word is we are to study it. Not just read it. Not just one in one ear and out the other. But to study it. 1 Timothy 4.13 says, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. 1 Timothy 2.15, I'm going to quote from the King James Version, because I like this one. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study God's word. Meditate 
upon it. Read it and keep reading it. But two things about this. Number one, if we are to study and understand God's Word, then you and I must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit. It's the sword of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is key. To know God's Word, we need the Holy Spirit. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I might behold wondrous things in your law. The psalmist says, Lord, you have to open my eyes or I will never behold wondrous things in your law. We are dependent upon the Spirit of God to help us understand the Word of God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 6, we read this. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we, what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the first thing you need to understand is if we're really going to understand God's word, we are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to help us understand it. The second thing I want to say is this. God's Spirit, which indwells us, never contradicts the Word of God. The Spirit of God, who helps us understand the Word of God, will never contradict the Word of God that God has given us. Right? It says you have to rightly divide God's Word. That means you have to properly handle the sword of the Spirit. And the Spirit of God will never lead you away. So if you say, hey, Pastor, the Spirit is leading me to do this. Okay, is it biblical? Because if it's not, that's not the Spirit. It may have been something you had for lunch. It's not the Spirit of God. Well, you say, well, Pastor, the Spirit of God has told me this. Okay, does it line up with God's Word? Because if it doesn't, that's not the Spirit. That's your feelings and your emotions. So we read it, we study it, but then we must live it out. We have to live out. Right, we've got the sword of the Spirit. We've hidden it in our hearts. Now we're living it out. In the preface of the Geneva Bible, which was written in the 1550s, it says this about the Bible. It says, The Bible is the light to our paths. It's the key of the kingdom of heaven. It's our comfort in affliction, our shield and sword against Satan. It's the school of all wisdom. It's the glass wherein we behold God's face. It's the testimony of His favor. And it's the only food and nourishment of our souls. Look what Paul says in Ephesians. He says, And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now the Greek word for the English word that is put here is not logos, which is what we are typically familiar with, but rather it is rhema. And there's a difference between logos, word, and rhema, which is word. John MacArthur explains it this way, logos usually refers to general statements or messages. So certainly we can say this is the Word of God, all of it. From Genesis 1 to Revelation. It's all the Word of God. But rhema refers to individual words or particular statements. When he speaks of the Word of God here, I don't think he's just talking about the entirety of the Word, which is absolutely true, but I think what Paul has in mind here is a specific word applied to a specific situation. 
Because Satan's coming with his fiery darts. He's coming hand-to-hand combat. And he's going to do all sorts of things to try to get your mind off the Word of God. And so in that moment, you need to have a specific word hidden in your heart so that you can fight off the attacks of Satan. So are you discouraged this morning? Are you discouraged? There's a specific word from Scripture for you. Just one example, Jeremiah 15, 16. Jeremiah was discouraged. He said, this, your words were found, and I ate them, and your words became to me a joy and the delight of my heart. This morning, are you perplexed? Are you confused? Uncertain of what God is doing in your life? Well, Psalm 119, 105 says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. James 1, 5 says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You take a specific word, you you put it in your heart, so that when Satan comes with those lies, you can fight against him. Are you tempted? Are you tempted this morning? Well, Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Take the example of Jesus. He's in the wilderness. He's tempted on three occasions. And what does he say every single time? It is is written he has a specific word that every time satan comes he goes back to deuteronomy and he quotes from scripture this morning the spirit of god takes the word of god and he applies it to the hearts of the people of god and so if you're struggling i want to challenge you to go home today and say god this is what i'm struggling with It's a specific temptation. It's a specific struggle. So, Spirit of God, will you bring a specific word to my heart that I can memorize so that I can fight against Satan? And you guys can attest to this. That changes in different seasons of your life. For one season, your struggle could be depression. The next season, it could be anxiety. The next season, it could be doubts. And so you need a word of God on you at all times from the Lord to fight against Satan. So the Word of God is to be read, it is to be studied, it is to be lived out, and then lastly, it is to be shared. It's to be shared. Charles Hodge writes, All the church's triumphs over sin and error have been affected by the Word of God. So long as she uses this and relies on it alone, she goes on conquering. But when anything else, be it reason, science, tradition, or the commandments of men, is allowed to take its place or to share its office, then the church or the Christian is at the mercy of the adversary. If you want to stand, it is not reason, science, tradition, or the commandments of men that will enable you to stand. It is the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. And God has given us His Word. So read it, study it, live it out, and share it. Take the gospel, take the word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and proclaim it in the power of the Spirit. Hear me. The power of God's word does not lie in my ability. It does not lie in my persuasion. It does not lie in my eloquence. If salvation and people being saved was up to me, No one would ever be saved. It is the power of God's word. That's what changes lives. So some of you have already gathered with family, 
and with friends for the Christmas season. Some of you will gather this week. You will gather around family and friends who are lost, unbelievers, want nothing to do with God. You will gather with some family who maybe at one time believed in Jesus and have walked away. You may gather with friends at a, at a Christmas party you work, and man, they've just, they've just got their own interpretation of God's Word. And you may walk into that environment, and you may think, you know what, I'm going to sit back and I'm not going to say a word. That's really not an option for us, because we believe this is the power to save. Some of you are going to walk in there and you're going to be like, look, I know I've got to say something. I know I've got to share. Maybe there's one particular person the Lord has laid upon your heart. You've been praying for them and you're just thinking, Jesus, give me an opportunity to have a conversation with this family member, with this friend. But in your mind, you're like, listen, I don't know enough. I'm not persuasive enough. They're going to have arguments. And so you're timid, walking in thinking, I'm going to fail. But hear me, brothers and sisters. Your salvation was not because a pastor was persuasive, because your Sunday school teacher was persuasive, or because some random person was very eloquent who shared the gospel. You are saved because of the power of the Word of God. And all you have to do is give them the gospel. That's all you can do. And then it's up to the Word of God to do the work of God through the power of the Spirit of God. So brothers and sisters... We hold this. We hold it precious and dear to our lives because of what it is. Because it's the very words of God. Are you reading it? Are you studying it? Are you living it out? And are you sharing it? If not, you just cry out to the Lord right now. Would you cry out for forgiveness? Would you cry out for grace? Would you cry out for mercy? Would you cry out, Lord, may I long for your word the way I long for fill in the blank. The Spirit of God will work in your life. He'll begin to change you slowly over time to where we begin to long for His Word. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? Father, we have talked and we have sung about the salvation this morning that is only through Jesus Christ. We spoke about the love, God, that you have for us in Jesus Jesus, that you would come and die for sinners like us in the song that we sang. We, we talked about Jesus, your coming, and then we also talked about the cross and the empty tomb and the risen Savior. This morning, God, you have the power to save. Anyone here who is lost, an unbeliever, you can save them right now. You can transform their hearts right now. For the brother, the sister who is tempted, who is discouraged, who is downtrodden, who is just beat up by the things of the world, Father, you can meet them right where they are. The person who feels unloved and unlovable, you can just shine bright into their hearts right now. Father, as we sing this song, as we offer up this, this song as an offering to you, Father, we want to be men and women who love you and who love your word and who love people. God, we can't do that apart from the work of the Spirit. So, Spirit of God, would you move in this place right now? Soften hearts. Transform hearts. And may it begin with me. May it begin with the individuals in this room. And, oh God, give us opportunities this week, I pray, to open our mouths that the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ would just flow out. And, oh God, would you allow us, please, oh God, would you allow us to see the power 
of the word this week as we see hearts and lives transformed before our very eyes for your glory and your honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to sing a song of worship together. The altar is open. You can come and kneel and pray while we sing. You come. Skies of Bethlehem appeared a star. While angels sang to lowly shepherds, three wise men seeking truth traveled from afar, hoping to find the child from heaven. And falling on their knees, they bowed before the cannot compare to the glory of your love. There is no shadow in your presence. No mortal man would dare to stand before your throne, before the Holy One of Heaven. And it's only by your blood and it's only through your mercy, Lord, I come. And I bring an offering of worship to my King. And no one on earth deserves the praises that I sing. And Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring offering to you and I bring an offering of worship to my King no one on earth deserves the praises that I sing Jesus may you receive the honor that you're due oh Lord I bring an offering Jesus, may you receive the honor that you're due. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Oh, Lord, I bring an offering to you. Amen, amen. If you'll remain standing, let me just mention a couple of announcements to you. Uh, number one, I want to encourage all of you, please, to come back tonight at 6 o'clock. It's our family night of worship, so we'll do a candlelight at the end. And so we have candles available to those of you who are comfortable with candles. Uh, but Gary was sharing with me at their previous two churches. They also have glow sticks for some of our younger kids who you aren't 
comfortable giving them a candle. And so we'll have some of those available for our kids as they come in so they can participate in that. Our kids' choir is going to sing. The adult choir is going to sing. Tim Potter is going to do a monologue. And so we have multiple things um, that we're going to do tonight. So be here at 6 o'clock. Um, also, next Sunday morning, we will gather to worship. There's no Sunday school. We'll be here at 1030. We're not going to have any child care. This is a family. We want everybody in here worshiping with us. So there may be some extra noises. There may be some crying, but that's all right. We're going to have fun. Um, you can bring your kids in their pajamas. I don't know if adults, you want to come in your pajamas, but if, if you do, just make sure that they are uh, appropriate. Um, we're going to have the Lord's Supper uh, next Sunday. It's going to be a great time of worship. And one last thing, when you go out to your left, you're going to see some tables going into the Fellowship Hall that are filled with Christmas cards. Some of you have not picked up your Christmas cards yet. You've got a stack of them. So just check, make sure you get your Christmas cards, and we will see you tonight. Brian is going to close us with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for your word. Dear God, thank you for this word that was given, this gift to us. Dear God, as we celebrate the gift of your Son and our Savior, um, this week, and uh, we also just thank you for uh, the gift of your word, um, as Pastor Aaron um, brought to our attention, uh, just the, uh, the luxury, if you will, to, to have your, your very word uh, in multiple copies, in paper and electronic and, and different translations and everything. Dear God, help us to not take that uh, for granted. We thank you for a pastor and for a church uh, who is focused on your word, and um, we pray that uh, we have the resolve to, to stay that way um, for eternity. We pray that you'll be with uh, each member here um, today and our families as we uh, gather or travel uh, this week. We ask for safety. I pray that you'll be with us uh, when we return tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.